This is the Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 465 for May 3rd, 2015. Q1 earnings hit the street, Best Buy to start accepting Apple Pay, and Google Now functionality expands to dozens of third-party apps. My name is Mickey Papillon, and the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast is brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, I'm flying solo today as Joey deals with some difficult personal matters. I personally wish him the best and look forward to having him back with us soon. First today, the Apple Watch is here and mine arrived this past Monday. A couple of quick comments on first impressions with the device. First off, uh, one of the things I'd read a lot about before I received it was the battery and uh, I can report that the battery is much better than expected. Uh, It actually helps out the iPhone's battery significantly. Uh, By the end of the day on both devices, the watch and the phone, my battery is well over 50%. Uh, Many days I'm I'm still seeing 60 plus percent in the battery. Uh, I I think that, that the biggest thing for me is that I had my phone screen lighting up for every single notification that was coming in, whether it was, uh, you know, the the score of a sports event or a message or an email of which I get over 100 a day. So the screen was on all the time. And now with the watch, essentially what's happening is all of the notifications from the device's screen are being pushed over to the watch itself. And the watch doesn't light up for everything that comes in. Uh, at least you can set it so that it doesn't light up or it doesn't notify you and you can you can modify all those notifications. So what's happening is that the phone is essentially sitting with the screen off most of the time. My actual usage of it isn't changing all that much in that when I still need to do something on it, I'll turn the phone on and and do what I do. But uh, generally, the screen isn't errantly lighting up all the time. Uh, Speaking of the screen, uh, one of the things that I turned off pretty quickly after I got it with the watch was the activate on wrist raise. So some of you who have had the, the opportunity to test out the watch so far have noticed that, and you've probably seen it in the demos as well, that when you raise the watch up to your wrist, the screen automatically turns on. And then when you pull it, you know, push it back down away from you, uh, the screen turns off. Well, this is uh, essentially done with the accelerometer inside. And so what is happening is that whenever you're doing things where it appears like the phone is being turned towards your face or raised up, it will unintentionally turn the screen on. And it was happening quite a lot for me, especially when I was driving uh, and also trying to do different things with my kids. I've got a a, a very young child at home, and so I was regularly carrying him around, and uh, it was just too much. The screen was constantly turning on. So I turned that off, and what I have now done is just turned on the tap. Uh, basically, you tap the screen, and it turns it on, and then you take your entire palm of your hand, and you cover up the screen. It's a, actually a very quick, easy motion, motion to cover up the screen of the watch, and that turns it off. So um, it has uh, actually changed uh, significantly uh, how I'm using the watch, and I'm not just you know pulling it up to my face uh, all the time for everything that happens. Yeah, I have to physically touch it with another finger in order to make it work. So maybe not exactly how you would be using a watch uh, if it was not a a digital smartwatch, but at the same time, uh, it is how I've decided to use it for at least the time being. That may change. Um, As far as the overall uh, happiness with the the device, I went with the 42 millimeter screen uh, size. And uh, personally, I'm happy with that. Uh, I would not have wanted the 38 millimeter size. Uh, that said, I do have a coworker who got one. It works very well for her, that smaller size. Um, but uh, for me, the 42 is just about perfect. So I, I do like that, and I like that size. I'm happy that I, I chose that. Uh, as far as functionality, 
text support or message support is is very nice on, on the watch. Um, what I find myself doing is when a message comes in, I you know raise the watch up, tap on it, see the message, and uh, I'm able to then send back a quick message, whether it's uh, a re- response to someone. Uh, someone asked me this week if I wanted something and the options were red or green, and I quickly just tapped on red and uh, it sent the message off and, and that was that. So I uh, didn't need to pull out the phone and deal with all of it. It was just a quick response. Um, I will say that if you need to do something longer, the the responding via Siri is uh, is generally pretty good. Um, I have dictated a lot of longer messages with it, and overall, it works out quite well. Um, the The difference, though, is that when you when you're dealing with a response via Siri, uh, you are essentially have to rely on the watch itself to get it right. Like on the phone, unlike on the phone, where you can uh, re- dictate out a message uh, and then go in and edit some of the words, you can't edit the words on the watch. So you have to just assume that it's going to be correct or correct it in a, a message after that. So that's that's one thing to deal with. Um, the other thing I'll say is that when you when you're responding to messages on the watch itself, um, you, you are doing in my in my experience with it, you're doing um, a lot less with the watch itself. So, um, you know, you, you open up the message, you hit reply, hit the microphone button, it dictates it. And then once you get done, you hit send and it sends it off. And, and ultimately, um, I, I appreciated that because it's it's I, I don't get into massive kind of back and forth text conversations. Generally, it's just, you know, one message back and forth and that's it. So I did like that and not having to have the whole phone right there. It was just a a quick just I could say glance or bite of of, uh, of messaging that went back and forth. So that worked out pretty well. Um, I also do appreciate the ability to see who's calling right away. The vast majority of the phone calls received, I do not answer just based on the fact that there are errant calls. I get a ton of spam calls. It's a whole nother conversation about how annoying that is. Uh, but I will say the phone really doesn't uh, doesn't have to live in my pocket anymore. Um, I find that I just kind of leave it either in my briefcase or on my desk and I'm able to walk around my office within within reason uh, without having to have the phone with me for for everywhere that I go. So that is kind of nice. Um, I also find that actual the phone calling on the watch itself um, is uh, it, it's nice if again if the you know phone is across the room and it's not accessible. Um, but at the same time, I, I, the actual conversation itself is a little annoying. You holding a your wrist up or your arm up gets tiring very quickly. And uh, I would obviously you know rather have a phone call on my phone itself or even on the iPad for that matter than to do it on the watch. But it is a nice option for if you don't have that phone on you or maybe you just you can't grab it out of your pocket or uh, whatever it is. Um, so there's there's a lot of great stuff to like with this. One of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to is, you know, when you've got a rental car and uh, you don't have your phone paired uh, over to your uh, um, uh, over to the car itself and you can just, you know, easily answer a call like that on there and it activates the speakerphone. It's not a loud speakerphone, but it's it's loud enough to uh, to get the job done for a quick conversation. So anyway, so that, that's phone calling on it. Uh, mail itself takes a little bit of getting used to. HTML support is limited uh, as well as if you've got a lot of people sending stuff back and forth with kind of, I'll just say, errant uh, text at the bottom, whether it's the disclaimers or it's a signature or whatever it is, there's just there's there's a small screen, so you, you don't have a lot of room for all of that data, and so you can end up scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling just to kind of see what's going on at the you know in replies and further emails down so um for very very limited stuff i think the mail application is is okay um but uh, but generally i didn't like it what i did like it for though is triaging of messages you can uh it, it basically the the watch mirrors what you've set up on uh, on the phone itself so for me i've got an exchange account the exchange account 
the default uh, get rid of the message option is archive. And then on my Gmail account, the default um, get rid of a message is delete. And so, uh, because that's what I do the majority of the time. So it's easy to go through. And if someone just resp- replies to an email and says thanks or something like that, you can easily just, you know, it's force touch, I guess. So you push down hard on your wrist and then it just deletes the message and you don't even have to pull out your phone. So that is nice. But for other than the triaging, I, I found it was, I would just get frustrated quickly and pull out the phone and deal with it. So um, it just, you've got to kind of get used to the flow of that there. Uh, just overall, uh, I will say, you know, the, the watch hasn't changed my life. Um, you know, I honestly forget that it's there uh, pretty regularly. Um, I do wear a watch or did wear a watch before the Apple watch. Um, and so I, I do find myself checking it for the time quite a bit so that's great uh, it is a fantastic gadget uh, it's far away though from a critical technology piece of technology and so I, I would say if you've got one on order you probably are going to like it uh, give it a couple of days the learning curve does take a little bit to get used to um, I've done a found a, a couple of uh, interesting tutorials imore.com has done a great job on the tutorial process and has offered up some tips and stuff like that as well so I learned quite a bit about how to uh, what all the force touch does and uh, uh, I learned uh, some kind of some different ways to organize the icons to make it uh, work out better for me. So there, there's been some there's been some good stuff that's been published out there already. So uh, enjoy if you do get one, and uh, it is a it's a very interesting thing, uh, something that is going to over the next couple of years probably evolve significantly, just like the iPad did five years ago, and uh, look where we are today with tablets. So uh, good stuff there with the Apple Watch, and again, uh, it is uh, it is a, it's a fun gadget, uh, but it's not a must buy, uh, in my opinion. Now, jumping into the news, first off, Discover Card on Monday announcing that cardholders will soon be able to add their Discover Cards to Apple Pay for mobile payments. Starting later this year, Discover, the fourth largest payment network behind Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, will have support for Apple Pay. Uh, at Discover, says customers are participating from participating financial institutions can add their credit card or debit card to Apple Pay, and they'll be eligible for the normal perks such as cash back uh, bonus and freeze it. Discover uh, also said that it expects its banking customers to begin rolling out support for Apple Pay by the fall. So you've got a couple of months to wait for that. In other Apple Pay news, Best Buy on Monday announcing plans to begin accepting Apple Pay later this fall. The move is uh, a departure from the retailer who had an agreement with MCX, or Merchant Customer Exchange, which was looking to debut its own mobile payment service called Current C. MCX retailers include Target and Walmart, two of the largest in the U.S., as well as CVS and Rite Aid. Best Buy also said that the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus owners can use Apple Pay to make payments within Best Buy's mobile application starting this week. So that's good news if you are buying things from Best Buy's app. Well, a number of wireless operators and public policy groups formed an alliance recently to pressure the FCC as it drafts rules for the upcoming 600 megahertz reverse spectrum auction. The alliance is called Save Wireless Choice, and you can find more information at SaveWirelessChoice.com. Some of the companies include Sprint, T-Mobile, and Dish Networks, and some of the groups include the Competitive Carrier Association, Public Knowledge, the Rural Wireless Association, and others. The alliance hopes the FCC will hold the auction in early 16 rather than mid-20. 2016, and it wants a larger block of spectrum, at least 50%, reserved for smaller carriers. The website urges customers to stop AT&T and Verizon from controlling the wireless feature. It claims that it will lead to bad service, higher prices, and less innovation. In the most recent auction, uh, the, uh, the the claims 
uh, were essentially followed up by the fact that most of the winnings went up, went to AT&T, Dish, and Verizon. Sprint and T-Mobile have been arguing for a long time that the two uh, carriers of AT&T and Verizon have too much market power, and there's a necessity here to have the FCC change this and provide more opportunities for them as smaller carriers. Next up, it is the second quarter of the year now, and so the Q1 earnings have now come out for a number of companies. First up, Apple on Monday reporting its results for the second fiscal quarter and first calendar quarter of 2015. For the quarter, Apple posted revenue of $58 billion and net quarterly profit of $13.6 billion, or that's $2.33 per diluted share compared to the revenue of $45 billion and a quarterly profit of $10 billion in the year-ago quarter. Gross margin for the quarter was 40.8%. That's <clears throat> excuse me up compared to the 39.3% in the year-ago quarter. International sales accounting for now 70% of revenue. Apple has declared an increased dividend payment of 52 cents per share payable on March, or excuse me, May 14th to shareholders of record as of May 11th. The company currently holds $193.5 billion in cash and marketable securities. In addition to the increase in the dividend payment, Apple said it will once again expand its share repurchase authorization to $140 billion from the $90 billion that the company says it expects to spend. Over uh, And then also $200 billion in cash under its capital return program at the end of uh, March of 2017. Since the start of the capital return program in August of 2012, they've returned $112 billion to shareholders, including $80 billion in share buybacks. They also, uh, according to their results, sold 61.2 million iPhones during the quarter. That's up from 43.7 million in the year ago period. Uh, The Mac sales were also strong, 4.56 million units sold. That's up from 4.1 million units in the year ago quarter. iPad sales, however, were down, falling uh, falling from uh, 16.3 million down to 12.6 million. Uh, which is a drop of uh, 25%. During the subsequent conference call, CEO Tim Cook shed some light on how the Apple Watch has been doing. According to Cook, demand is much greater than supply, but the company is working hard to remedy that. He said the Apple has made lots of progress over that on that in the past week and has been able to deliver the Apple Watch to more customers than they originally anticipated. They said they're generally happy with its efforts to boost supply and to get the Apple Watch out to customers as soon as possible. The watch availability may expand to other countries in late June, and Cook says it's looking for a new uh, as it is with a new product with us uh, it will wind up taking time to fully ramp up Uh, apple has hoped to meet and beat the ipads a thousand available apps at the launch of it uh, and so far has exceeded that with a total of 3500 available applications Google also reporting its first quarter earnings, showing yet another strong quarter. For the first three months of the year, Google showed growth uh, to $17.3 billion. That's 12% over last year and uh, $3.58 billion in net income. That's also up nearly 4%. Advertising revenue on a whole was $15.5 billion and their own websites made up another $11.9 billion in revenue. That's up 14%. In the latest business, uh, in its largest business, Google saw the trend continuing for aggregate pay clicks rising 13% over last year, but the cost per click was dropping by 7%. Their total operating expenses for the quarter were $6.4 billion, 37% of revenues. They also hired over 9,000 employees in the quarter, so the total employed by Google is now over 55,000. AT&T posted results in the first quarter recently, reporting a bump in revenue over the same quarter and its lowest first quarter churn ever. AT&T's combined revenue for all businesses was $32.6 billion. That's a year-over-year increase of 0.3%. 
Earnings per share were 61 cents. That's down from 70 cents a year ago. On the wireless side, AT&T said they had 1.2 million net wireless additions, and the quarter represented the company's best first quarter for postpaid churn at just 1.02%. Total wireless revenues were up 1.8% over last year. T-Mobile continued positive growth in the quarter. They uh, had their eighth consecutive quarter with at least 1 million total net ads on the network. This Q1 had a total of 1.8 million people added. Uh, 1.1 million were on subscribers of the core T-Mobile brand. The company expects that the to report the leading year-on-year on revenue growth for total revenue, $7.8 billion reported in Q1. That's a 13% increase in the, over the same quarter last year. It's not all good news, though. On quarter-to-quarter revenue, they were down 0.9% due to the impact of data stash. T-Mobile continues to operate aggressive programs and campaigns that affect short-term earnings. Though the company says it is adding subscribers at a steady rate and is planning for those additions to bolster future reports. In non-earnings-related news from T-Mobile, they said that they've migrated the majority of the Metro PCS customers off of the company's legacy CDMA networks and onto its own LTE network. T-Mobile says fewer than 500,000 Metro PCS customers are still using the CDMA network, and as a result, the company's decommissioned Metro PCS CDMA network in Atlanta and Detroit during the first quarter of the year has brought the overall total to... uh, eight market shutdowns with only three major markets left. T-Mobile expects to shut down those remaining CDMA networks by the end of the year. They've already refarmed approximately 80% of the spectrum for its 4G service and said that the LTE network now covers 275 million people today and they'll have uh, 300 million by the end of the year. The uh, network has been rolled out as well with wideband LTE service in 157 markets. They expect to cover 200 markets with wideband LTE by the end of the year. And further, they continue to deploy LTE on the seven 700 megahertz spectrum now with coverage in houston dallas philly tampa san antonio and detroit coverage on the 700 megahertz spectrum is now in a total of 55 markets verizon is offering prepaid customers one gig of bonus data every month if they sign up for auto pay customers need to have the 45 or 60 dollar per month prepaid plans and we'll see their data allotments improve from one to two gigabytes per month or 2.5 to 3.5 gigabytes on these respective plans existing customers will see their bonus data up here on their next automatic payment. Verizon said this offer will be available only for a limited time. Sprint on Thursday announcing a partnership with Boingo to give customers free access to Boingo hotspots in 35 U.S. airports. Sprint subscribers are able to connect their Wi-Fi-equipped handsets to Boingo's airport Wi-Fi networks automatically with no login required. Sprint says the Wi-Fi connection is secure enough for the business customer to use with also access available through corporate VPNs. They did not say, though, which airports were covered. Sprint also announcing Sprint Wi-Fi Connect. This is a consumer router that prioritizes Sprint's Wi-Fi calling service over any other traffic on that hotspot. They say the Sprint Wi-Fi Connect includes Smart Connect technology that dynamically manages two 2.4 and 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi bands for optimal Wi-Fi data performance. Sprint's Wi-Fi Connect is available free of charge to qualified customers. Wi-Fi calling is available on most of Sprint's Android handsets, as well as the Apple iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 5, and 5S. In device news, LG on Tuesday finally announcing the G4. This is its 2015 flagship smartphone. The G4's back is covered with a vegetable tanned leather and in a bid to set it apart from competing designs by competitors Apple, HTC, and Samsung. Like the predecessors, the G4's main controls are placed on the back of the phone, something LG contends makes it easier to use. The phone features a uh, packed specification sheet, uh, making LG's intent 
on delivering a premium experience for the G4 owner. Uh, For those that do not want a leather back, they also have other materials such as a hammered metal. The screen is a 5.5 inch quad HD IPS quantum display. It's powered by a Qualcomm Snapdragon 808 processor with X10 LTE. Qualcomm says it's specially tuned the 808 for the G4 to improve call quality and offer download speeds of 400 megabits per second. Qualcomm says its work on the 808 pushes battery life beyond a single day and the sensor-based location services are more accurate than GPS alone. The phone's camera features a wide aperture f1.8 and captures 16 megapixel images. It's got a laser-assisted focus and a two-tone flash to help improve skin color. Also captures 4K video. The 3000 milliamp hour battery is removable. Both Sprint and T-Mobile announced the availability of the G4 on their networks, though no pricing was announced by either carrier. The handset available starting in June. AT&T and Verizon said they'll sell the G4 later this year, though they did not say when the phone would go on sale or uh, what the cost would be for it as well. Verizon did say its variant of the G4, though, would support voiceover LTE and HD voice. In software news, Facebook on Monday announcing that users of its Messenger application will soon be able to make free video calls and other to other Messenger users. The feature will be initiated with a single button that works over LTE or Wi-Fi. Video calls can be connected between Android or iOS devices and joins Messenger's ability to connect voice calls over the networks. The feature is launching in select countries, including Belgium, Canada, Croatia, Denmark, France, Greece, Ireland, Laos, Luth- Lithuania, Mexico, Nigeria, Norway, Oman, uh, Poland, Portugal, and of course the UK and the US. Uh, the Facebook feature is now in other regions, or will be reaching other regions in the coming months. Amazon's instant video this week began allowing the ability to watch a video over cellular on its iOS applications. In settings, you can now set the video quality and choose to receive alerts when you start using your mobile data. The update also lets you stream in high definition in the app for the first time. Amazon Instant Video 3.0 is available for download for iPhone and iPad. Google on Tuesday expanded the number of third-party applications available to create cards within the Google Now search function. Apps can now surface just-in-time information in Google Now across a range of topics. For example, ABC News and Feedly cards can offer breaking news alerts. Eat24 can ping users to impending food deliveries. And fitness applications such as Adidas and Jawbone can deliver fitness goal details and nudge those not moving enough throughout the day. Android smartphone owners will need to update to the latest version of their search application to gain the expanded compatibility with third-party apps. And Google pushed out an update to its Messenger application for Android devices this week, including the addition of new features. Messenger now has a desktop widget for viewing conversations from from Android home phone panels. The app uh, adds support for animated GIFs as well as a handful of new quick replies and feature uh, features for faster reply options and resolution of some performance issues. Messenger is Google's latest SMS and MMS application for Android. It's free to download from the Play Store. Google updating its search application for Android devices and expanded the use of voice commands. Uh, So, for example, you can say things like, OK, Google, Shazam the song, or OK, Google, listen to NPR, and it will open the associated application. Google provided a guide for the new things with a voice-enabled search application that can handle all of the functions. Uh, Travelers can simply ask Google for the status of their flight, followed by uh, where there is where their destination city is. Or uh, you can also do things on the functionality of the phone, such as turn on the flight flashlight, Wi-Fi, or Bluetooth. You can also take advantage of tools uh, to search through specific email or messages, find attachments, photos, etc. Some applications will need updates on their own to make the functions work. Google said these updated apps will appear in the Play Store over the next few days. 
Microsoft on Wednesday said Windows 10 devices will be able to run applications made for other mobile platforms. According to Microsoft, developers will be able to reuse Java and C++ code to run Android apps on the Android subsystem on Windows 10 devices. Further, Microsoft said Windows 10 will support iOS and Objective-C so developers can port their iOS apps to Windows 10 easily. Microsoft on Wednesday demonstrating how Windows 10 on phones will be able to serve as a full PC with the Continuum UI. Continuum keeps the UI the same as users move from PC to tablet to phone, and they Continuum on Windows 10 will let users turn their phones into full computers with apps, data, and accessories such as keyboards and mice. According to Microsoft's Joe Belfiore, the new hardware or new hardware will be required to power the version. Regarding the timing of the launch, uh, speaking at the Microsoft Build Developer Conference, Belfiore said the phone specific version of Windows 10 won't arrive until after Windows 10 launches for PCs and tablets. He did not provide any more specifics on that, uh, and but uh, we're expecting it to arrive sometime after the fall months. Questions and comments today. First up is a comment from Ralph, and he says, guys, just listen to your last podcast where you were talking about using Google Voice. I've had it for many years, and it seems like whenever I use it, the delay is so bad that the conversation is almost useless. I found Skype is much better, and interestingly enough, when I use the Hangouts application, on my Mac or Chromebook to make calls, the delay is not as pronounced. I don't believe it is the data connection since I'm on my home Wi-Fi and both the phone and the computers uh, are running on that. Thanks again for the show, Ralph. Uh, yeah, so Ralph, just a comment on that. I've seen this as well um, when uh, forwarding your, your Google Voice number over to a, a traditional phone number that you have. Um, and I will say I, I really only use the Hangouts application anymore for my uh, for my calling on there, I never used it on my mobile plan. In fact, I've gone ahead and actually deleted or not deleted, but turned off my mobile number as a forwarding number for my Google Voice number. So if someone calls that number, it just rings through on the Hangouts application. So that said, if the Hangouts app isn't running, so I have gone through and closed the application uh, on the device itself, and then I try and answer the call when the, the push notification comes through, there's a good chance um, that it's going to take a few seconds for the application to, uh, to get launched. Uh, and sometimes then... Um, it will ultimately go to voicemail uh, or the call will actually just fail. So I would say it's not very reliable in answering uh, just from my experiences, but generally this is not a mission critical number for me. And so uh, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I may have some issues with it. The other thing that I've set up is that if a phone number, a phone call comes through to my main cell phone number and then ultimately rolls over, I have it set up to ultimately roll over to my Google Voice number if I don't answer it. So this is great if you happen to be in a low Wi-Fi area, which I am on a regular or a low cellular area, but have Wi-Fi, which I do find myself in almost every single day. And uh, so ultimately, I, I, I appreciate that, that phone calls can still come through in that regard. Uh, but again, uh, the other part of that is, is if you get a call that you don't want to answer, and you choose to push it to voicemail, uh, then it will try and ring all your other phones, so then it'll come through on Hangouts as well, and then I've got to silence that. So it uh, can sometimes be a little annoying, but ultimately I just you know just deal with it. So, uh, But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying, Ralph. I absolutely see that where you'll get the delayed calls. Uh, it just happens to be something that just occurs when I guess the forwarding happens from Hangouts over to your phone number. Next up is a comment from Matt. He says, hey all, I wanted to comment on Project 5. I live in an area that has generally has good teams 
T-Mobile coverage, but I work and live close to a mountain, which is a dead spot for the network. I found this out after trying the service for a month and from coworkers. So Project Fi sounds like a perfect fit for me. In the small dead spot, I should be able to switch over to Wi-Fi or Sprint and have good T-Mobile service everywhere else. I'm also currently paying $40 a month for unlimited talk and text and one gig of data on AirVoice Wireless, which is an AT&T MVNO. I usually only end up using a few hundred megabytes a month, so Project Fi will uh, potentially have my bill drop from $40 to about $22 for the same service, which is great savings. I signed up for an invite, hope to be selected, even though I would have to buy the Nexus 6 uh, sounds. Uh, Thanks as always. Love the show, Matt. Well, Matt, this does sound like a good deal for you, especially if you're not using a lot of data uh, out and about on the cellular network, 20 bucks a month, and then pay for the data that you use. This is going to absolutely be a good deal for you. And finally today, we've got a question from Patrick. He says, hello, TCPJ. Great show as always. So I usually listen to my podcasts, not music on my phone. My phone is usually in my pocket and not within reach. And so when someone talks to me, I have to switch off the Bluetooth. I just talk for a few seconds and then I have to turn the Bluetooth back on, reach for the phone and then resume the podcast. So can you recommend a Bluetooth earpiece, single only, not for left and right ears, that has a pause and play functionality for the iPhone, just like the Apple earphones though, without wires? Thanks, Patrick. Well, uh, Patrick, so this is a great question, and uh, you know I was actually thinking about it the other day as well um, with the the new Bluetooth functionality that I have built into the Apple Watch, and thinking, well, would it be would I, would I actually listen to more stuff now now that I can you know just use my watch to do it, or do I was this not going to make any difference? But either way, I thought I really should look at some Bluetooth some Bluetooth headsets, and I did a little bit of searching, uh, but I was yet I, I did not find anything that was just a single earpiece that you're using here. So uh, that said, I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners out there that are doing the exact same thing and i'd love to get recommendations on how you're using this so uh the question out to the listeners is if you're listening to this show with a bluetooth earpiece uh, specifically in patrick's situation looking for one that is just a single ear only let us know send us an email leave us a voicemail let us know what you're using uh the brand that it is whether or not you like it and uh, if you've seen anything else that would be good so we can pass them on to patrick in a future show. And if you have any questions or comments for us, you can get in touch with us a couple of different ways. You can send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com, or you can give us a call or send us a text to 650-999-0524. Again, that number 650-999-0524. And we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. And with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.